0: What up artists? My name is Dwayne Jones. I'm the creative director and founder of a lifestyle brand called Art Pays Me. This is the Art Pays Me podcast, and I'm passionate about finding ways that people like you and me can make a living for ourselves off of our creativity. And, you know, maybe we can make the world a better place at the same time. Let's get into it. Okay, everyone. Welcome to Art Pays Me. Today, we have Matt. So, okay, before I say your last name, I'm going to preface it by I'm from Bermuda and in Bermuda, we pronounce it doling. In Canada, they pronounce it Dowling and that's where I currently live. So how do you pronounce it in the UK?
1: Yeah, it's an Irish uh, name. I'm from Ireland, uh, but it's the Canadian pronunciation.
0: Dowling okay (laughs) interesting all right however you like (laughs) cool Um, so Matt Matt Dowling what do you do
1: well I uh, am the founder of a a startup called freelancer club and uh, I used to be a photographer in the past and we might get into that later but the, the club helps creative freelancers specifically. Uh, We try and connect them with businesses to get them work, but more than that, we try and nurture them so that they can develop their freelance business and their skills. So we're a community. We're we're a place for people to feel like they're not alone uh, and they've got people to lean on who are going through similar things. Um, So uh, every day I do bits and pieces with the company, um, but more often than not, these days, my time is spent campaigning or doing interviews or uh, bits and pieces for press around the self-employed or freelance cause or whatever that may be at the time. But uh, yeah, in less than 60 seconds, that's what I do.
0: hmm so like, how does it, I'm still pretty much like solo in what I do how does it feel to be able to have a like a team basically to delegate different things to? Do you feel sort of left out or do you feel like you're being put into the, the role that works best for you?
1: Yeah, so the structure of my company is that we exclusively use freelancers. Okay. Um, so I've got eight, nine freelancers who I would talk to on a daily basis and they look after all the components of the company, Um, everything, you know, from membership support to marketing or accounts. And then uh, I'll draft in freelancers. Anytime we we've got a project that needs to be taken care of. Um, so now for me, it's a very interesting space. You know, um, I used to be a freelancer completely solo, didn't have a clue what I was doing. Um, making it up as I, as I went along, uh, and cut scene, you know, 15, 20 years later. And I'm now in a completely new, fairly futuristic structure, which is figuring out how to best manage teams remotely. Mm-hmm. So I've never met half of my, my staff, uh, wow. in person. um, and that space is just really fascinating for me. I've been into it for about three or four years uh practically but i've been researching it for for over 10.
0: right so that's it's super smart you can your company can be nimble you can up like become a really large company or really small just uh, pretty much instantly right
1: yeah that's exactly why we did it so we used to be uh, a very traditional company we had an office in london we had full-time staff you know we had Long term contracts and policies and all the stuff that a good company should have, um, and we just started to realize that we, we were so new at the time a lot of the guys weren't able to fill their their weeks we just either didn't have enough work for them because we were still developing, or we were asking them to do things that they weren't necessarily suited to. so we took a look at it and we thought you know it could be a bit extreme, but why don't we try something totally different and create a completely fluid and flexible working structure? Uh, Exactly as you've said, we're able to grow in areas that we were busy and hold back on areas that we weren't and pull and push the levers depending on what we needed at the time. So um, that's what we did about three and a half, four years ago. Uh, We got rid of our office, the, the physical office and, I mean, I, well, I used to hot desk until the pandemic put a stop to that and looks like it will for a while, but I used to dip in and out of different offices in London meet people all over the place, either one of those membership clubs I was a part of or, you know, coffee shops or whatever. Um, but really all the business gets done via Slack, via Zoom, via um, email, but all online.
0: Hmm. Wow. That's, uh, that's, that's really cool, actually. Um, and you're based in London currently.
1: Yeah. yeah. Uh, we're based in London, but my, my team predominantly are UK based, but uh, I've got a few guys who are, are dotted around the world who jump in depending on their time zone when they wake up and, uh, we loop them into what's going on.
0: Right. And your business is membership based. Are your members also sort of dotted around the world?
1: yeah so when we launched we brought with us our crew from our fashion photography days so i had about 30 40 people who i pitched the idea to and said look want to onboard you because there's no cost i just want cool people on the site uh, i want to set a, a strong precedent to show that there's uh, this is a club for people who want to learn and grow but you know there's a certain quality that we what we want really anybody can join the club it's not exclusive um but we wanted to show you know what you could aspire to be as well so um because of the nature of the type of freelancers we uh, initially were helping the members they were face-to-face guys photographers makeup artists stylists so they had to be there in person and because of that, the majority of the members uh, were and our UK based. Mm. But interestingly, in the last two months, we've been forced to pivot and reach out to uh, a much more global membership base um, and try and attract people who work remotely and have been working remotely for a while. So, We've seen a huge spike in web designers, web developers, graphic designers, copywriters, uh, UX, UI, you know, people who ordinarily we, we wouldn't have been able to help. But now we've moved a lot of our resources into that space. We're able to continue to help the face-to-face guys as the economy gets back on its feet. But we're also uh, in touch now with a, a whole new demographic of people, which is For me personally, really exciting.
0: That's cool. So how do you come across the work? Do you have sort of client-side members and um, freelancer members, or is it just you guys, you go out and you find the work and bring it to the site, and then the members have access to it?
1: Yes, it's it's, uh, the latter. Um, So we have uh, space where companies can create company pages. Uh, on the site, and mm. one of the USBs of what we're doing is to try and disrupt the freelance recruitment space. So, we uh, figured that you know, if you want to hire a freelancer, uh, you shouldn't have to pay a lot of money to post an ad. You can go to an agency if you've got the budget, but even big companies are recognizing the annual costs for agencies can get out of hand pretty quickly. Um, or you can ask a friend, you can get on Google, you can post something on Facebook or Insta or whatever. There's a lot of avenues and we don't think there's any one amazing avenue that provides you with high quality creative talent without a lot of the administrative faff. So we came up with this concept called concierge service and it combines cutting edge technology that uses an algorithm to list our applicants. So you can post a job at no cost. The algorithm does a lot of the work and matches your brief based on a number of data points to our members, to the talent. Mm -hmm. And then somebody from our team, so a human steps in at that point, who has the insights, and not only of our members, but of the industry, and they'll get to know your brand, find out what you want, and have the freelancer contact you directly. So you don't have to sift through CVs, portfolios, anything. You'll just get a phone call or an email from someone who our concierge believes is the perfect match. Right. If it's not, we'll do it again. We, we work on a credit system like that, so it's significantly cheaper. But um, on the, to your original question, we would organically attract quite a lot of companies because of this low-cost way to acquire talent. Right. Um, and yeah, we have strategies in place to also go out uh, and speak to companies. We we want to help companies as much as possible create a an agile workforce. The way we run, if they want to do that hardcore, the way we're doing it, or if they just need to plug a few skill gaps, we can uh, we
0: can hook them up. Cool. And uh, how many? About how many members do you have at this point in time? Um, just over forty thousand. Okay, all right. And so like, what would you say is the most like, challenging part of, of doing something like this? Uh, as in running the company? Yeah. Um,
1: the trickiest part is trying to stay on top of everything mm-hmm. because you're managing a team of people in a range of different departments, and in a traditional company, there might be a you know, marketing manager looking after the marketing team. Uh, same in accounts and PR, for example. But with our setup, with, with my setup, um, I'm having to dip my toes into six or seven different sectors, and what that means is you're you got to build up really good relationships with the team. You know, mm. you've got to. Listen to them and uh, hire people who you know are independent thinkers and autonomous workers. They don't need to be micromanaged, you know. They're gonna teach me th- things that um, which they do all the time. Mm-hmm. So um, yeah, the the challenge for me is building up the culture of the team. That's the most important thing, and you got to try and do that via a laptop. Um, and encourage the team to collaborate together via Slack or Asana or a project management tool,
0: mm-hmm. um,
1: and that's how you build that camaraderie and investment into the brand. But um, you know, the the satisfaction I get is when they turn around and tell me that with you know this is cool. I really enjoy the work, and it's cool I'm able to meet other people and talk to other people within this in this context because more often than not, a company hires a freelancer, gives them a project and won't speak to them about anything other than the project. And then when it's done, they don't speak to them again. Mm-hmm. So um, I don't believe that's a great way to, to manage freelancers. And so I, I, I practice what I preach and the way we do it here is much more inclusive. You know, we, we have a Slack channel that is uh, for everything other than business. You know, it's called the water cooler. Mm. Uh, and we just talk about, you know, our dogs or the weekend or, you know, your favorite type of barbecue or something. So, nice. Uh, yeah, it's these little notes and these little details that I think help nurture and, co- uh, and change the culture of a, an online team. But, yeah, that's the challenge. But it, it's also probably the most enjoyable aspect of what I do.
0: Do you think because, like you told me a story before about, like, how you kind of got screwed over by a client, and you have a creative background. You think that's sort of why you structured the company in this way, to, to that way, to to have that more like water cooler area. Yeah, potentially, um,
1: it's certainly the reason why I set the company up in the first place. You know, the mission of the com- of the company is to try and support creative freelancers, um, very much in the way that. Uh, I felt I didn't have that support when I was a freelancer. So um, to give you some context, uh, I was a photographer, really cutting my teeth, didn't know a lot about the business side of things, actually became a photographer in the first place just because I, I needed to pay rent and I couldn't get a job. So uh, I had studied photography at university and a friend asked me to shoot something and really it just very organically, step by step, grew from there. Um, and then, yeah, a couple of years into the, the freelancing, uh, I landed a great fashion client, which is an area that I wanted to move into. I got rid of the rest of my clients very foolishly to dedicate all my time to this one client, uh, who kept giving me more work. And we had an awesome relationship for about a year. You know, they moved me from the photographer to head of fashion in less than six months. I was organize, organizing the shoots. I was bringing in uh, my team, my shoot team. You know, it was a lot of responsibility. It felt good. I was producing work that I thought was very high standard. And um, then in the second year, um, they missed an invoice and claimed it was an accountancy error. And then another month went by and it was a technical error. Um, and at this point I'm still shooting for them every mm. every week, every month. So I'm not making money anywhere else. Um, in fact, I'm having to start, I had to start borrowing money from wow. friends just to, to pay the rent. And um, it got on to month six and I was just on my knees, you know, I was basically kicked out of the, the flat, I, you know, I was sleeping on a friend's couch and we were, you know, it wasn't a good place. And So I uh, went into their head office just as a final straw to say, Look, I, I can't hang on anymore. Um, swung open the doors and, and it was empty. They had gone bankrupt and they were, you know, they had fled the place in the head office and the studio was just continually using me to create stock images to sell the last of their, their collection. Oh, wow. So uh, that was a pretty heavy. A lesson to learn it a journalist heard about it and made the made the papers made the national press over here um it was during a recession and um people reached out having read the article to say a similar thing happened to them you know not the same company but a similar uh, story of a big company taking advantage of a creative individual and it just opened my eyes to what's happening in the exploitative nature of big business or even small business and creative people, you know, it's a very strange relationship between how we value artistic and creative things. Um, so that's so the seed for me, you know, that was the thing that, that made me think, I got to do something about this. I've got to set something up that, that make sure this doesn't happen to, to someone else again. Um, and we got freelancer club off the ground based on that experience and also a whiteboard and a marker where we just wrote down a list of things we wish we had when we were freelancers. And so everything from, you know, jobs to legal uh, templates, to advice on invoicing, to setting up a company, limited company or sole trader, you know, these, basics that sometimes new freelancers are a bit afraid to ask yeah. um, and then we started to get more advanced so you know we, we, we now run virtual and digital events that are a mix of chats about mental health and the impact freelancing can have on that uh, right up to just confirmed a, a digital discussion with uh, the guys from patreon we're going to be talking about the value of creativity and quite a high brow level. Um, so, yeah, it's um, I think the, the experience was probably uh, lent itself more to why I set the business up as opposed to the way in which I run the business.
0: Right. Right. And you went to school for photography. Do you feel like uh, like art schools and design schools and schools that, that teach creativity in general, do you feel like they're preparing creatives for these kind of experiences when they leave school?
1: Uh, well, the uni I went to, the university I went to, was a contemporary art degree. So I was there to study contemporary art, and some of the projects that I produced required, or certainly didn't require, but I chose photography and a bit of film. Got you. Within that. So uh, I went to a pretty cool uni that was very much about if you put the effort in, all the resources are there. To uh, help you out, and uh, University of Westminster in London, and um, I was pretty proactive. You know, I, I'm big into music, so I was pals with all the music guys. So I learned how to edit, and then I'd hang out with the photography department and learn how to use the dark room and get the fundamentals. And I think what what it does, whether it's a short course online or a, a four year degree, it'll give you the technicals of that specialism. Um, back in my day, there wasn't a huge amount of support in terms of the soft skills that you need to run a, a business, a freelance business. Yeah. Um, because you know, freelancing was a bad word up until about five years ago. Uh, <laughs> yeah. you know, the connotations have always been, it's the thing you do if you can't get a job. It's just you, know, you wake up when you want and drag your laptop into bed and you're freelancing. Yeah, it's very different now. Thank God. But um, unis and courses are starting to cotton on to the fact that most creative courses they run need to go hand in hand with the soft skills that you need to run a freelance business. In the same way as their enterprise and entrepreneurial departments are pumping a load of money into startups, you know, Mm. so everybody's looking for the next Jeff Bezos or... Unicorn startup Um, and freelancers do sometimes get pushed to the side a little bit in that conversation. Uh, But universities over here, certainly, I can speak on London universities and creative universities, are by and large waking up to the the needs uh, of a freelance course or some sort of business uh, wraparound uh, Mm -hmm. to complement the you know, the special subject that they're teaching the kids. Um, and that's cool. That's, um, I'm involved in a couple bits and pieces and uh, various universities over here. And it's exciting, you know, because the talent is there. It's, they just don't have the business skills. And if you give them that second part, well, uh, the future looks
0: pretty good. That's cool. Do you, do you find that when you're, do you have any contact with the students direct, directly? Yeah,
1: yeah, a lot, yeah. So we just finished a pretty intense boot camp with the university um, where we uh, would have ordinarily done it in person, and we did it last year in person, but we did it online. Um, and you're nurturing and coaching uh, the students uh, to, to some degree, you know, to, to get ready for, for the real world. And in this case, it was to get ready for a presentation that they would pitch to real Uh, employers of various different companies which is happening Mm. tomorrow I think Um, so yeah you get a lot of feedback and and, I mean I'm asked to to lecture quite a bit uh, around the place and the questions I get asked and the chats I have with the students afterwards really inform uh, a lot of the decisions we make in the club in in my company Uh, you know we got a bunch of students who join and hearing what they know, the language they use, their, you know, their perception of what freelancing is compared to say a 45 year old. It's, it's not only fascinating, but I, it's important, you know, that we, we listen and, uh, listen well, you know, because these guys are going to shape what uh, this freelance landscape looks like over the next 20 years.
0: That's refreshing. Cause, uh, I I was in university in the early 2000s and at that point for me business freelancing all of that stuff it was a bad word to me and it was uh, I definitely didn't put enough attention and focus in that kind of stuff that I should have in hindsight um, not realizing that you know as a creative I'm probably going to have to have some kind of a business or some kind of even if I'm not involved directly in the business side to understand it is felt extremely valuable.
1: Yeah, I think so. Yeah. It's, um, you know, they don't make great bedfellows business and creative. Mm. The the big myth is that creative people aren't good at business. That's total nonsense. Exactly. I, I think companies are actually coming around to the idea that creative people are far more valuable. Than non-creative people who have been plugged into the system, and would be very mechanical and, and analytical. Um, you know, the, the real juice, the real value of somebody comes with that idea that no one else is thinking of, or your competitors aren't thinking of. Um, and so, look, I, I'm a believer that everybody is creative. You know, mm-hmm. this idea that some people are creative, and some people that's that's not something I believe in. Uh, I think the creativity is often, you know, uh, beaten out of you as uh, as a kid. It's something that you're told, you know, don't write in the walls or, you know, don't don't doodle or don't do this. And over time, you start to not get rewarded for the creative outlet. And it's, it's those typically those parents and teachers and peers that encourage creativity in all of us that we see really. Cool things come out of people later on in life, man, um, and so you know that is um I think that's what companies are now looking for they they need outside of the box thinkers they need creative people to come in and uh look at look at the world in a different way uh and not be tainted by the system because everybody knows the system it's out there it's it's easy to learn that, but uh that's a saturated space it's the uh, original thinker that is uh, the, the most valuable i think
0: yeah that's great uh I, i'm actually sort of watching that play out real time with my two children i've got my oldest daughter who is uh more of you know your traditional artist type everyone always tells her how great she can draw and um she, you know she just identifies with that my youngest she doesn't she doesn't get that feedback as much. And uh, I've noticed she stopped identifying as creative or as an artist because she's always comparing herself to what her sister can do. Mm -hmm. And um, we had this realization on the weekend that was like, you know what? Maybe you don't do things in the exact same way your sister does, but what you're doing is still interesting, still valuable, and I still appreciate it. And to see her mindset switch to like, "I am an artist, too," it, I was like, "Wow, I can't believe like even me, I've been you know not noticing this thing in my, my children. so uh, yeah, like that that um, it's very interesting. I agree with you 100 percent. I think that creativity is something that we all have. It, it plays out in various things and various ways, not just your tr- traditional drawing and painting and that kind of stuff, but like, it's, it's everywhere. And I think we all can be artists in some level um, when it's applied.
1: Um, Yeah, for for sure. And exactly in the case of your kids, you know, it may just be a medium that we're looking for. You just need an outlet for the art. You know, if if someone is naturally, you know, being a good drawer, for instance, uh, I haven't looked into the psychology of it, but I assume it's something to do with, the mind's ability to see shapes or memorize something and then put that onto paper. But if you're not wired that way, well, then you could pick up a guitar and and kill it, you know, like Hendrix, or you could uh, find that you're incredible with your hands and sculpt, or you could write or recite a poem Or there's just an endless number of ways to uh, get your creativity out of you. And I think the kids who find it early on and like you said, you know, with your eldest who sounds like she's pretty good, she's going to keep getting more and more encouragement. She'll end up being hopefully like a, a really expressive individual who, who gets that idea of, of art because of that level of encouragement. And I guess the role of the parent in some ways, if, if, they're, if they're this way inclined, is to encourage the kids to explore other ways to express themselves. Mm-hmm. And if they do find things that they like and that they're into, certainly not to restrict it to one thing. Let them let them go crazy. There's there's no one more creative than kids, and um, I think uh, it's it's those guys who hang on to that feeling into adulthood that are top of their game. um, Just in terms of how they express themselves, there's there's no barriers, you know. There's no self consciousness about what they're they're willing to put out there into the world. It's um, it's a truth, you know, that's very innocent and childlike. So um, yeah, I, I think it's it's interesting to see it in kids. And uh, I have a niece and nephew who have similar dynamic, um, and they're fantastic. You know, you set them a, a creative challenge, and they're just heads are bouncing all over the place. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's great to see. It's something that uh, I think a lot of adults would uh, would love to be able to tap into.
0: For sure, so many I talk to are just terrified to to share even any idea of what their their creative outlet might be. They're just so scared of I don't know uh, failure or <laughs> what it is, but they just won't put it out. It's a, it's in, it's a very interesting phenomenon. What were you, what were you like as a kid? Yeah, pretty creative. Um... I
1: mean, encouraged, I guess, is, is a better way to spin it and got very lucky that uh, my folks were all about the creativity and the art, you know, I'd be sent to art camps and summer camps and stuff that were all about expressing various different, you know, creative ideas. So every everything, all the things we're talking about, all the different mediums, but really encouraged, you know, very musical household where anyone who came into the house, they were encouraged to pick up one of the 20 instruments that were knocking about and give things a blast. And, um, so very expressive in that regard. Um, uh, not great academically in school. Um, it took, uh, it took me to come to university over here actually to, to discover that I had dyslexia. And that was something that I think frustrated me in, um, uh, Secondary school, which I guess you guys call it high school. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. So, you know, those kind of mid to late teens, um, felt I was, you know, working all right, putting in the hours, but not getting the marks. And, uh, yeah, it's frustrating. Couldn't figure out why. So, you know, I didn't love, didn't love academics, didn't love school that way. I, I just, I played a lot of sports. Played a lot of music. Uh, really enjoyed the art, the artistic side of things, and the the odd art-based uh, class that you were able to take. Um, but yeah, I mean, for sc- school, for me, I'd I'd love to see them rip up the the current structure and you know celebrate and reward kids who uh, you know thinks like it slightly differently or have. Um, have a broader range of, of, of skills and, and not just a kind of memory test that it seems to be um, back when I was doing it. And I, and I don't think it's changed since. So, yeah, gr- growing up, was, I grew up in Dublin. It was cool, very, um, to, to, you know, very cool household and a uh, very creative bunch of mates as well. So it was a good platform to learn.
0: Nice, nice. Cool. And, um, like, so when you decided to go on to the uni, like, w- did you know specifically you were like, I'm going to be this thing? Or was no, it- I, no, I didn't. And <laughs> the first uni I went to
1: was in Dublin and I was studying Russian and biblical studies.
0: <laughs> oh, wow.
1: <laughs> and that was uh, exclusively just to get into the university that I wanted to get into where some of my mates were going. So it was the, how it works in Dublin is you get a certain number of points. Uh, they add up your exam results and based on those points, you can apply to certain uh, degrees. So this was the lowest possible degree I had no interest in Russian or biblical studies.
0: Just uh, got in.
1: <laughs> yeah, I just wanted to get in my, in my naivety I thought yeah, I'll transfer to law next year or something. <laughs> so um just got in and loved the university. I loved the concept of of union, hanging out, meeting new people. Very much the first time I felt uh you could express yourself without being judged and you could find your tribe a, a lot more in university than in school. Um, and that was very freeing. Uh, but I didn't click with the, the head of the department or the course. You know, I never really went much. And um, so dropped out after a year. Um, I did a portfolio course uh, quite quickly in Dublin. So that all about putting together an artistic portfolio, I realized, you know, I kind of realized that was an option to be honest with you, you know, it was, it's funny. It's just, it's not talked about so much. It wasn't anyway, that getting into a creative space is a, is a possibility. Right. Um, So the whole idea is, you know, do well in school, get some points, go to university, get a degree from university, get a job. Um, So uh, the, the irony is that, you know, my dad is a business owner, he's an entrepreneur. Most of my family is now, both my brothers are. Uh, I very much come from a background of entrepreneurialism. I just never contextualized it back then.
0: Right.
1: Uh, it's tough to kind of know that was an option for me too. Uh, when all your mates are doing engineering courses and law and medicine or whatever. So, um, yeah, that was definitely an eye opening moment but um from there i went to i went on holiday to italy with a mate of mine um, and loved it so much i ripped up my return ticket and i stayed for a year uh, teaching english and hanging out with very cool people uh, first time i picked up the camera really was in italy met a very interesting dude who whose brother worked for vogue italia and he hooked me up with a meeting and, yeah, he got me working as a bit of an assistant on the side of a couple of shoots and picked up the bug from there. Um, and then got accepted into University of Westminster in, uh, in London. Wow. And um, flew back, you know, after a year in Italy and did the degree, uh, did the gr- the degree uh, in London, but really had no clue what I wanted to do. Uh, when I was done, you know, there's not a lot you can do with a contemporary art degree mm-hmm. uh, that's directly related to, to it. It's more of a, a course that gives you certain skills and uh, appreciations to then go on and choose what you want to do after. But um, yeah, the, you know, always into business. I was set up my first company in university very quickly set up the second straight after when I got into the, the photography. So, um, yeah, in, in hindsight, it probably gave me the tools to be an entrepreneur as, a, as much as I dislike that kind of phrase. But it's uh, all of those qualities that, you know, risk-taking, creativity of thought and um, some, some sort of head for business. Um, yeah, and the rest I kind of made up as I went along
0: right why do you, why do you dislike entrepreneur
1: well i lo- i love it i mean i love the concept of it and um it's a tricky word i guess is what i mean it's uh it has a lot of connotations to it um and i think it's been kind of banded about a little bit to i don't know to 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 mean a certain type of person but um yeah i i i think to I'd probably see myself as someone who's quite entrepreneurial in terms of the way I think, mm-hmm. um, but I'd like to, I like to believe that I, I think slightly differently, which, which maybe is actually part of the definition of entrepreneurial. You, you
0: know what it is for me. Um, I have a, I, I have really embraced the idea of creative entrepreneurship in the last few years, um, but I would say that the idea of an entrepreneur is kind of triggering for me and my trajectory, because when I think back, the people that, uh, you know, I had similar experiences of people taking advantage of me as a creative, 99% of them were entrepreneurs. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, it was always someone trying to like hustle some kind of free work to, for their new startup or some business idea or they want to pay you an exposure or whatever the case may be. It was always like someone who was just hustling and, and needed some kind of help. Um, so I'm like torn. I'm like, I, on one hand, I, there are great things to learn from that. And like you said, there's just the I, the concept of it. I love But it is triggering for me sometimes when I think back to those days of of people who were just willing to hustle on and basically take advantage of whoever they need to to get to that next rung in their business. Um, So in in terms of that, like how does your business and I'm not necessarily trying to throw these type of companies under the bus when I do this, but how does your business compare to some of um, like these other freelance-based businesses or task-based businesses, like a Fiverr or an Upwork or anything like that? Mm.
1: Uh, We're we're totally different in terms of the business model. Uh, So we are a membership business model, subscription business model. Mm -hmm. Um, They work on a percentage agency business model. Um, So there's a significant difference in the way uh, our structures are put in place but I think to your point the biggest difference is is probably our values and the way we see the space the freelance space and the entre- entrepreneurial space so when we set up our company first of all you know I'm coming from a freelance background so I'm very empathetic to the freelance journey and mm-hmm. um, this wasn't set up to make millions and try and sell the company in four or five years time and this was a a company that was driven by a value set of values that i had and and something i was very passionate about i wanted to help other people um so from day one we made an agreement that we would never post unpaid work on the website and started campaigning pretty early on i think maybe after the first year Uh, A campaign called No Free Work that started off as a Twitter hashtag and has since grown legs and arms and tentacles. And it's become a very exciting um, campaign that is still running and has brought together some very influential people. We've put it in front of Parliament in in London, so the government have been pitched a uh, a new legislation that we'd like to push through um, in, in the UK. To give freelancers more support, Um, but you know, bottom line is I hate unpaid work. I hate exploitative um, work in in any form. Um, So it can be, you know, exposure. It can be the promise of paid work in the future. It can be prestige. Sometimes you know, yeah. Um, And if it makes you feel any better, it's it's not just uh, startups that that rip you off. Big companies do it too, but. uh, it, I do agree with you. I, I think smaller companies, and, and this is something we need to address, smaller companies tend not to have the resources yes. to, to pay. And the shame of it is they do have resources to pay for some things, but paying for creativity seems to fall into the free work bracket on their business plan.
0: Right, Exactly. Um,
1: you know, and it's because there's a glamour to it and it's because there's somebody who's going to be willing to take it because it looks cool to work for a brand or they can add it to their portfolio. I mean, the culture is tainted. Um, so at the absolute core of the No Free Work campaign is a mission to change the culture around how people perceive creativity and creative people. and it's that in my opinion that we need to address and we need to change so um i know fiverr and people per hour and upwork and these guys i've met a lot of the founders they i think in some cases they do an amazing job and in terms of their functionality uh, i've used it to hire people in the past you know it's I get it. I I think it's a very clever Mm -hmm. SaaS company in some cases, or or, you know, um, gig economy site. But where I think they're falling down is they're not protecting the people they're professing to help. Mm -hmm. And you know, all of the ads and all of the the draw of these places is, is this freedom, this idea of this entrepreneurial, fluid lifestyle that you know, some good-looking guy with a laptop on a beach, you know, this kind of yeah. idea. Um, mm. But I, I do feel they should be doing a lot more to protect the value of the the talent on these sites because it is a, a race to the bottom on a lot of them. Um, I think Fiverr probably has the worst reputation of, of the ones you've mentioned. Mm. And, um, yeah, you're, you're, you're just going to find that we're losing amazing talent and we're going to be left with some rich kids whose parents can afford to pay for their rent while well, they do this as a hobby. I and mean, that's what the future looks like if we don't do something about it. So right. uh, um, uh, in that regard, we are polar opposites. Freelancer club, uh, you know, I, the jobs aspect of the freelancer club is one part of a membership community. Uh, and we recognize that it's a very valuable part it's why a lot of people join but um, we definitely don't see ourselves as a job site you know we are much more than that we we nurture the members we run events all the time whereby we know the members you know we uh, don't just leverage their work to onboard more people you know we, we actually care about what it is that they're producing and Moreover, we're very interested in the space around how we can get them more valued so that they can continue to do the thing they love, but also pay the rent. I don't think those two things should be mutually exclusive.
0: Absolutely. That's 100% my mission. <laughs> um, yeah, because you know we're all guilty. I, I've been guilty of it uh that that glamour side that like or you feel like yeah there is an exchange of well i enjoy doing this so you know but no it's a business it's work it's all work whether you enjoy doing it or not is irrelevant because as a homeowner the lawyers they they charge at every single um second of that transaction of the home um you know, just every other part of the business uh, that you're dealing with, people are not fooling around and saying, "Well, you know, pay me when you need to," or just sign my name at the bottom of the website and I'm good. And like, no, it don't work that way. So, yeah, I agree. Um,
1: yeah, it's a good point. It just just to tag on the end of that, the um, yeah, the, this is the the strange relationship i think a lot of creative people creative freelancers particularly have and it's there's a few components to it i think one is what we've spoken about it's just the culture that exists in almost every country i have yet to find a country that really values their creatives and if any of your listeners know of any let me know because (laughs) i'd like to move there But yeah i mean culture is one thing i think the education Starting off in, in school, but maybe even beforehand, like with the parents, right through to university and courses needs to take hold. so I give a talk on valuing creativity in universities, and um, you know the the idea that uh, you can go out do something you love and get paid needs to become you know solidified in the mind and Unfortunately, a lot of lecturers are quite guilty of saying, well, I had to work for free when I was doing it. So you guys are going to have to do the same thing. Exactly. <laughs> it, it just perpetuates a, an issue. So that, that's one aspect. And then I think the idea of going to your parents when you're 15 or you're, uh, you know, I don't know uh, what they call them these days, but the recruitment officer in your school or whoever, the careers officer, right? They mm-hmm. And saying like, what you want to do, Johnny? And he goes, yeah, I want to, I want to be an artist. And so, okay, yeah, but what you really want to do? Um, you know, if the answer isn't lawyer, doctor, engineer, or something solid that fits into this framework, then it is looked down upon. And it's looked yeah. down upon as a folly. Parents think, mm, that's risky for my kid. And I don't want my kid to financially struggle when they're older because, you know, that will make them sad and that'll make me sad and I will have failed as a parent. Mm -hmm. But, um, instead we should be changing that cultural idea and and that false sense that creative anything, creative pursuits can't be also secure and, you know, you can earn a living from it. And yeah, I, I, I think, there's a lot of guilty parties and often it's the, the freelancers themselves not valuing who they are, not valuing their own service enough to say no, and having the bravery to say no to exploitative work. Exactly. Um, and that's another component we gotta look at.
0: Yeah. Uh yeah, for sure. So if there's anything else, like what what's like, is there any other piece of advice you would give for uh, creative freelancers um if you have another
1: couple of hours we could talk about it. yeah um,
0: <laughs> the, yeah
1: I, i'm, I'm asked that question a lot it, i find it quite tricky to to, to answer I, I do think at the heart of it um and just as we're on the topic it probably makes sense but the concept of valuing yourself is if you can nail that if you can truly walk away uh, look at yourself in the mirror and say, "I, I really value what I do." Like, there's not a joke. I, and like, if I'm a designer or a photographer or a developer or something, you well, developers slightly different. I think they are very valued. But something that is stereotypically artistic and creative, and and recognize that somebody is willing to to value you in monetary terms, but also the self-confidence you have in yourself to be able to go out and ask for things and confidently say, no, listen, I know my worth. I know my value and I'm not going to compromise on that. Um, that would really dramatically change the landscape of things. If you reached out for free work and you didn't get any answers back and you had yeah. to pay for it, yeah. I mean, we're laughing about it. Like it's a totally alien concept. Imagine I said that to you about lawyers, you know, exactly. <laughs> right. It's just wild that it's so ingrained in us that we, we think that it, that's a fantastical concept that someone who creates graphic design or, or sorry, someone who's a graphic designer and creates a design or somebody who I don't know, paints or, or whatever, does an illustration that, that that isn't bringing value to the company. So, I'm very interested in exploring the the deeper layers underneath how we might be able to pay for things. You know, like the concept of invoicing for me is very archaic and I think we can get rid of that and look at a new model, but you know, it starts with us and everybody else valuing what it is we do. Um, I do think if you, if you get that you're, you're on the right track and, for creative people, the only other sort of bit of advice at this point that comes to my mind that might be connected to what we're talking about is, is getting over this idea that you can't be strong at inverted commas business, you know, because you're a creative thinker. And it, it's true, creative people pr- probably struggle more with project management, you know, so we have a million ideas every day. And then most of the time it's actually restricting those ideas. That's the bigger challenge. Um, and we start an idea and then we stop and we think, uh, this is, you know, the idea isn't fun anymore. This is actually a huge amount of work. And I'm just going to go back to another new idea that, that the ability to follow through with things and put structures into place and that if you recognize that you are poor at that aspect of business. So for, for example. I'm really bad at that. I'm terrible at project management, mm-hmm. I'm great with ideas. So I will find people who are exceptionally good at project management and I will pay them to take that part of the journey on for me so that I can keep pumping out ideas because some of the stuff that's coming out, I mean, don't get me wrong, 99 out a hundred is probably garbage, but the, the one good idea I have, I want it to be actioned. Mm. Um, and so, just putting things in place. Once you recognise your weaknesses, you can use, uh, bring together teams of freelancers, and you can use them to to build out your your business. And you know, so long as you pay them fairly, I think um, you're onto a real interesting business dynamic that can make for a very successful creative career without having to get your hands too messy in the sort of businessy financial stuff.
0: Mm -hmm. Great. Anything else, uh, going on that you may want to promote? Uh,
1: there's always something going on people, people I'm sure can Google us. And, and if, if they, uh, like what we're about, you know, like I said, we're inclusive. We're now looking to grow, um, globally a little bit more. So we would welcome, we welcome people to come check us out and, um, and promote their work, you know, showcase their work and and see if they can extract some of the stuff that that we're talking about for their own businesses. But, uh, aside from that, if, if people want to follow the no free work hashtag and just try and share that, you know, amongst your mates, any creative friends you've got, just trying to get the word out that, um, yeah. Unpaid work is, is not the way to go. Yeah.
0: You know what? How do you feel about contests?
1: Um, I, I don't like them. Um, mm-hmm. I think they fall into spec work. Um, mm-hmm. And if memory serves, I think Upwork have an option for contests. I, I mean, I, that may be wrong, so don't quote me. But I, I do know a, a significant website gives you the option to post a contest for a job and um, you know, if you have a contest amongst professionals, that means out of 199 people have done the work and not been paid. Uh, yeah. One person gets the job. So I think it's a really dangerous precedent to set. I think it's it's shocking and should be abolished. Yeah. Um, that is uh, again, just a, an indictment of how people perceive this idea of doing a bit of doodling and getting the work and the gray area that we've got there is that non-professionals can enter a competition Mm -hmm. and win a prize and that's all good but Mm -hmm. remember if you are one of those people doing that you're taking work away from a professional and you're perpetuating an exploitative culture so um, it's wrapped up in a friendly way and there might be a nice little prize at the end of it. But the the idea of contests on jobs, job sites that I I assumed were uh, trying to onboard professional talent is disgraceful. And um, I'd love to see them completely, uh, completely abolished. It's um, yeah, it's poor show.
0: I I get so pissed when my friends send me these things. It's always like my non-designer friends or whatever. But whenever there's some art contest or design contest, and it's often by big companies, like you said before. And it's like, yo, you don't have the money to pay somebody. Like, like seriously? Um, Why are you having this contest? And A, it's like, yo, my friends, please stop sending me this shit because I don't want it um it's like you said, it's just an insult to the industry as a whole and the prize is often not even nearly what i would charge if i was to, to do it anyway so
1: yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. i think if, if they just uh, hire you and pay you well i think that that's probably the best uh, prize you can get
0: exactly yeah sorry about that i had to get that rant though um <laughs> uh, where can people find you online
1: uh so we're freelancerclub.net uh and then all the socials and stuff are attached to the site But uh
0: they'll get everything if they if they hit that up cool all right matt thank you for doing art pays me this was uh it was great to to hear your perspective on these things and um yeah take care my pleasure man thanks man thank you so much for listening to the art pays me podcast Thank you to Langie Beats for the theme music. If you got anything out of this show, please rate, review, and subscribe on whatever platform you're listening on. The more you do this, the more reach the podcast gets, and the more artists I can help learn to make a living at what they love. If you want to know more about what I do, hit me up at artpaysme.com or at artpaysme on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and Pinterest. See y'all next time.